Welcome all live from Harrison County, West Virginia. Uh, we're delighted to have you along for Healthy Harrison's podcast weekly on Fridays, a show designed to help you change your state. By that mean, we, uh, we want you to live better, live happier, live longer uh, by adopting perhaps a more nutritious lifestyle, a, a little more exercise in your life, a little walking on the weekends, whatever it might be, uh, we want you to change your state, uh, uh, change your uh, health uh, to something that uh, gives you an opportunity to live uh, a longer life, a happier life, a better life. I'm Gary Bowden, a Healthy Harrison board member, and our co-host is Amy Haberbosch-Wilson, who is vice president of the Healthy Harrison Board of Directors. We stream this program live on the Healthy Harrison Facebook page, as well as on the statewide distribution network of our media partner, WVNews.com. Every week at this time, we chat with individuals who are essentially focused on the same mission as that of Healthy Harrison, fostering measurable improvement to the health and well-being of the citizens in North Central West Virginia. We hope one day to adopt a template that can, we, we can spread across the entire state of West Virginia. Today, we're going to be talking with someone who, along with his company, has made a direct investment in the work of Healthy Harrison. He's Bryce Rausch, the head of direct sales for Google's Fitbit Health Solutions Division. Many of the participants in Healthy Harrison's Living Better programs, for lack of a better word, uh, have been outfitted with Fitbits to aid and track their successes and we hope, frankly, they're still using them. Bryce, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. We're going to uh, jump right into this because you know what we're all about. And, uh, and, and I'm going to suggest starting out that if ever there was a tool to help individuals own their health and fitness, it might be Fitbit. So let's start by asking... How did Fitbit wearables come to be? All right. Well, so it was founded by James Park and Eric Friedman uh, back in 2007. Um, are you familiar with the Nintendo Wii? Have you guys seen those before? The game yeah. system? Have one. So, yeah. so it uses a technology and, uh, and we see it every single day in our smartphones. When you turn your smartphone to the side and all of a sudden the screen flips, right? And it goes in landscape mode. That was, that was how the Wii had the little characters move around. You know, if you're playing tennis, you're actually, that's how a lot of people broke their TVs, right? You know, back when that came out. And so uh, James and Eric, they've had a few startups before big technology guys in Silicon Valley. And the sensor that does that is called an accelerometer. It just, it's, it's basically a, a smarter kind of pedometer, right? It's, it's monitoring motion. And their thought was, what if you put that in something that would be a lot smarter than a pedometer and what could that tell us if you were you know, able to start tracking things like your exercise, your steps, but electronically, uh, you know, versus a, a ball and a spring and a pedometer and, and, you know, and kind of the, the manualness of that. And so they went, kind of made a prototype. Eventually they go to this TechCrunch competition. They, uh, just before that event, hosted an e-commerce store where thinking they were taking bets amongst themselves. Um, one thought maybe they'd sell five Fitbits. The other one thought maybe 50. They won the competition. They sold like two or 5,000 devices that ended up launching, launching the organization. Um, obviously, you know, one thing that's uh, wonderful about, about Fitbit and why Fitbits endured 
uh, is because the focus really, even from day one, was around health. There's a lot you can do with a thing on your wrist that's smart and it has a chip and, you know, is uh, able to kind of process data. So a lot of di different directions you could go, but I think the fact that they were always focused on health and that being the metric um, ended up being why, why you know, Fitbit has persevered and, and is what it is today. I'm curious, Bryce, how you got connected with Fitbit. Did you have an interest in personal health and fitness before you started with the company? So I'm, I'm the type of guy who has a Google sheet or spreadsheet uh, to make virtually every decision or to monitor most things in his life. Uh, what do they call that? The, the quantified self. Um, I, I had a piece of paper in the car where I was starting to time different routes of dropping one kid off at school and then taking my other daughters over to daycare. Cause I just wanted to see after, you know, after you get maybe 20 different routes uh, or 20 different uh, times for each route, you should be able to make like a really calculated decision. What is the fastest route, even when, you know, throwing in traffic and weather and things like that. Um, so you can imagine my wife is annoyed with me almost at all times when it comes to making any quick decisions. Um, and so I guess, you know, as, as part of that, the, the thought of having more kind of, I guess, like data influenced decisions or, a, uh, uh, or introducing uh, something along those lines into a health journey has always been very fascinating to me um, using running apps and things like that over the years. I used to, you know, kind of be more with smartphones, but those are really inconvenient. You don't really want to bring those on your long runs. Um, I got involved in the startup community in Northeast Ohio and heard about Movable, uh, which is, uh, which was a, uh, it's a wrist-worn activity tracker called the Move Band. And I heard what they were trying to do with uh, kids. So childhood obesity is uh, only getting worse around the United States. Like we may end up with some of the first generations that are less healthy than what their parents were. That's the first time in history that that's happened. And so they were working with schools. They were looking for somebody to lead the sales organization. And, and I emailed the CEO directly and said, Here's the, here are the five things. I, I love your guys' mission. I really think that we could help a lot of different people. Um, consider you know, bringing me on the team. I'll be a janitor if that's what it takes. Like I just want to be a part of this organization. Uh, fortunately, he didn't make me be a janitor. Um, much better as a sales leader than, uh, than a cleaner. And so we ended up um, continuing to support um, schools, YMCA's, Boys and Girls Clubs uh, across the United States, helped a lot of people find grant funding that really kind of transformed the physical health programs in their school districts. We ended up finding out that when we would go and work with the school, you know, again, all, all within the notion of childhood obesity, because there really weren't trackers for kids, and, and there really aren't very many. Uh, we have one at, at Fitbit called the ACE uh, family of devices but it's not nearly as rampant as the adult devices have been for, for multiple good reasons, but, but still really hadn't totally caught on. And so, um, so we, that was why we ended up entering that market and, and why we were having the success that we had. We found out that we would go do this program and maybe it's attached to like a Department of Education grant or, or a federal grant of some sort. Um, and then the, that grant period would end while the devices don't disappear. We don't want them back, they bought them, right? And we found uh, all these uh, schools were starting to do corporate wellness programs. And I remember at the time, you know, it was almost 10 years ago, we were like, what's a corporate wellness program? Yeah, I'm not quite sure, you know, like let's Google that real quick. And they were starting to do faculty 
uh, step challenges. And they just wanted to know, hey, well, these move bands that we just bought, you know, for these students to be a part of a physical education curriculum, will it work on adults? Like, can we, can we use these? Uh, and, uh, and we're like, sure. Um, but tell us a little bit more of why you want to do that, you know, and what your goals are. And so that was my beginnings of the education of just the uh, uh, population health, corporate wellness type of world. Uh, we ended up building out teams just focused on corporate wellness, working with a lot of health insurance plans that acted as distributors for us uh, within the, their commercial lines of business. And then we also started working with clinicians and researchers who frankly just wanted a tool that their participants actually wanted to wear, you know, maybe even had fun wearing so they could get validated data for their study. They've always wanted to be able to have those biomarkers in their studies. Capturing it was either very, very expensive or sometimes very difficult to keep a participant compliant with the research. Well, you gave them a move band and they got really excited about it because it came in a bunch of colors and it was kind of a, a fun thing to tell their uh, friends and family about. After we exited, I, I would say that I, would, uh, I knew that Fitbit was a thing. When we had one of our largest movable customers, they did this big challenge, thousands of employers as a big legal firm down in Arizona. And we, we saw you could send communications through a platform and they said, the winning team will all get free Fitbits. And we're like, all right, you know what? They're already wearing move bands. This might be a sign that we've, uh, we've been overtaken a little bit, you know, with, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, uh, and frankly, I ended up meeting the Fitbit team uh, at a lot of different employer-focused conferences, and I, I really wanted to not like them, and I liked everybody that I met, and, uh, and then when we had an exit, they reached out and said, hey, you guys just sold uh, Movable, why don't you come and, and join us, and, uh, and so that was almost seven years ago, and, and it's been wonderful to, to help Fitbit continue to evolve you know, out there in the marketplace ever since. Which is great. Great outreach to the businesses, organizations, everything. Love hearing that. Um, how do you define the, the data, the importance of the data that's collected? So I don't know. I don't know if I would actually say that the data itself, you know, is, is really all that important. I, I think that the key is because you can give data, you know, it's kind of like you ever talk to like two economists and you get totally different views of what's going on in the economy, even though they're looking at the same data set. To, to some extent, you can give an individual lots of data about their health. If they don't really understand what that means, it's really not all that useful and maybe not all that actionable for them. Yeah, I true. think the, the data analytics is, is the key. So how that data is being presented back to the user is where it becomes important. I think it has to start with um, a, a level of confidence that the, that the data that's being presented back to them is accurate. Uh, if they don't trust that, that, that data, then you really aren't going to make very much progress and they're not going to make uh, healthier decisions moving forward. Once you've established that, though, I think that the key is to provide that data and make it actionable and make it timely. So, and frankly, the timeliness might be the key. I think a lot of us have had those meetings. Maybe we, we had a, uh, a biometric screening, you know, or, or maybe we were just having our annual physical and our physician or, or whomever runs through the numbers, some of them good, maybe some of them bad. And they tell us, they give us the big laundry list and they print out all sorts of pieces of paper telling us everything that we have to do to start being healthier. We probably didn't even need those pieces of paper. 
it's not exactly like it's been a secret uh, of how people can live a healthier lives, eat better, exercise, et cetera, right? What's a lot harder is actually doing it and then doing it consistently and making it part, making it a habit, you know, frankly. Mm-hmm. And so that's where, uh, from a Fitbit standpoint, the data ends up being, uh, you know, easily the most, you know, valuable part of somebody's Fitbit experience. Being able to tell somebody, hey, by the way, you didn't sleep well last night. And we also noticed that when you were logging your food, the amount of sodium that you consumed was far more than what an adult should typically consume in a given day. And there might be a link to that. Or telling an individual, uh, hey, here's your daily readiness score. Maybe don't work out today. You've been hitting the gym really hard, but you know, based off of maybe your sleep quality or, uh, or some of the other things that are part of the Fitbit experience, us being able to present that to somebody before it's too late, not at the end of a month, not at their annual checkup, but right in time is, uh, is the key for them to start adopting healthier behaviors, you know, right when they need to, like right at the moment where they're making a decision. That's extremely interesting. And then I realized that I just starting out, I had the original Fitbit. And for me, like you just explained, it was very simple watching the steps. And then I moved up to, you know, the, the bigger one and it's tracking so much more data and I'm able to understand a little bit better uh, what to watch, what to follow. And I like how it's gradual. Yeah. One, one thing that's funny is that uh, not to, not to cut you off, but I just have a, no, no, a, a humorous story here. So um, even when I was at Movable, um, which tracks steps and distance, um, but then, but then also at Fitbit. So at the start, when somebody finds out that you work for an organization like that, and you know, and it's it's immersive, everyone's at least aware of it. Um, there's a lot of people that know a lot about Fitbit that have never owned a Fitbit or worn any type of activity tracker just because it's it's out there, right? Mm-hmm. And so what they when they find out, like I'd have my Fitbit backpack or something, and I'm in an airport, and I used to get stopped because people wanted to tell me um, how they hit their 10,000 steps every day and they're, they're in all these challenges. I've had total strangers being like, what's your email address? I want, uh, I want to add you to a challenge that I'm doing. I'm like, I mean, okay, but by the way, lower your standards just because I work at Fitbit does not mean I'm logging 40,000 steps. Mm-hmm. They used to always want to tell me about their steps. And, and I would say, you know, one of the, one of the, uh, I guess a great example of uh, how, I guess, uh, something that seems like a game, but is actually very purposeful is the people that tell me how they march next to their bed before they go to bed when they see that they're at like 9,500 steps. That's funny. Like, like, I'm not going to bed unless that's I hit those 10,000. Yeah. And it, in, in reality, that's, we're trying to just, we're trying to change or modify somebody's behavior. We're trying to get them to, to want to, and, um, and, and then there's a celebration, you know, on the wrist when they hit the 10,000, that's all gamification, right? It's like a slot machine in Vegas, you know, that's, that's what, what, um, all the science behind that. Now everybody wants to tell me about their sleep and it's a much more personal conversation than it used to be. Marching to get the steps was one thing. Now they're just like, you know, being like, here, let me show you my sleep data. I'm like, you don't need me. We can generalize it, you know, give me that the high level bullet points. But, you know, that's, as you mentioned, Fitbit didn't do that out of the gate. Uh, those are, there are other wearables that started doing sleep tracking uh, even before Fitbit, but now it's absolutely one of the most, you know, beloved features and, and stickiest features for our users. It really is such a relatable story too. I know my father has one. So you've got a 76 year old that you know, he really, I've, I've got to go, I've got a few more steps. He has to hit his, his goal each day. And I see people at work doing the same thing. They're running up and down the steps. I've got to meet my goal just for the steps, which is great. Yeah. 
Yeah. Means it's working. Well, um, I guess to bring it relatable to Harrison County, uh, do you see your company making any particular difference in small communities like Harrison County? Which we do. We, we, we actually, I would say that working with, uh, just as an example, municipalities, it's uh, probably one of our five biggest industries that we work with on the, on the corporate side. And the way that um, when we look at kind of the, the market interests and also those that we end up serving, uh, we work with lots and lots of very small employers. I'm talking fewer than 50 employees even. In fact, we have a whole team that's just dedicated to working with them. And, you know, what's interesting about, um, about working with them is that it's the access to certain health interventions, we'll call it, is a lot harder when you're in rural America. Uh, and I understand that at a very personal level, because I grew up in South Dakota, which is all rural, but yeah. my hometown was 450 people. And so maybe, maybe this is a good thing, but the nearest McDonald's was over an hour away. Uh, wow. And so, and you know, meant that you weren't going to McDonald's as much, but uh, that's, that's uh, that. So I, I experienced that firsthand that, you know, when you would find out someone in town uh, had to have some type of uh, medical uh, surgery or something like that, a lot of times it meant that they had to drive hours maybe to go to a hospital that actually had that care. So when I think of more rural communities, there's a number of challenges. They, maybe they don't even have um, a grocery store, you know, or the same type of access to, you know, they call them food deserts, but, you know, access to be able to live the healthy lifestyle that you can kind of in, in the city, um, but may, maybe a little bit less available when you're in rural America, which is which is terrible and, and why I think a lot of times there tends to be a link in where the obesity rates are in the United States, you know, mm -hmm. relative to kind of rural parts of the country. And so, uh, so where we've been successful um, in communities like that is just the accessibility of Fitbit. You know, the fact that, um, so when we're working with these uh, uh, like municipalities, these uh, smaller um, organizations, one thing that can be a challenge is you know, how do we get the health intervention to the individual, you know, especially we started feeling this more and more when COVID hit, because everyone was working from home. So organizations that otherwise maybe were interested in just placing a large bulk order of Fitbit devices being, you know, shipped right to their shipping dock. Well, now we actually had to do maybe a thousand individual shipments to all of their employees to get to their homes so they could go get their Fitbit and started engaging in some of the Fitbit programming uh, for them to be able to take care of their health because a lot of people were neglecting it during COVID. And so it was the same type of thing uh, with, with these rural communities, the ability that they can personalize their program, they can set goals that are meaningful for them, they can have this individualized experience and everything all within the Fitbit app or on their wrist and they can get it you know, virtually from anywhere in the mail makes it a lot easier compared to maybe some other types of health interventions that would require resources to come in to their communities and try to, uh, to work with them that way. Let me, let me remind our uh, folks joining us that we're talking with Bryce uh, Rausch, the head of direct sales for Google's Fitbit Health Solutions Division. Also want to remind folks that we couldn't do this podcast each week without the help of our sponsors. WVU Medicine, United Hospital Center, West Virginia University, The State Journal, WVNews.com, and Interaction Media. Bryce, uh, you probably know this, Healthy Harrison programs 
have focused primarily on baby steps or micro habits. There's a lot of different names for it. How does this integrate with Fitbit's process of measuring steps? So when, when you build an organization that really has always been laser focused on health, you know, versus, um, you know, what you might see from other, you know, smartwatches that essentially is like a phone on your wrist. And so they're building out lots of other types of features. That means that it has to work. So if people aren't having a positive experience or they don't feel like this has become a, a useful resource for them in making healthier decisions, then they're not going to buy another Fitbit. And, you know, eventually it means that, you know, if people don't think that there's utility in it, you're not going to be successful because you've basically painted yourself in a corner. So you better do the thing that you're focused on and do it well if you're going to survive as an organization. I think the, the um, and so we have, uh, we've adopted some uh, kind of behavior change methodologies that influence virtually every new feature or product that we're bringing into the market. So we feel like, you know, as you said, these micro habits, the um, is that's how you end up eventually getting to people feeling the intrinsic benefit of living a healthier life. And it just becomes a part of their everyday life, whether that's they eat better because they know they don't feel as well when they don't eat, eat as, uh, you know, uh, nutrition, rich food and, and you know, not, not junk food. They go for that walk every day because it's part of their habit and they are disappointed if anything comes up in their life that might prevent them from doing that because they feel better. Uh, you know, we know obviously that uh, being able to, to live a, a, you know, a healthy life, it, it resonates into a number of different biomarkers, which, which obviously have negative consequences to it. If you're not handling your stress, if you're not managing or paying attention to the quality of sleep, if you're not eating well, if you're not taking care of your physical health, we consider those kind of the four big foundations, the pillars of our holistic approach to all of the programming and products that we release. Because we know if you ignore any one of those, it will have a residual impact on all of the others. If you have a program in place to be able to satisfy those four, then you're gonna be able to control things like your blood pressure, your stress levels, your weight. And then that's going to ultimately lead to a better quality of life longer term, uh, maybe means you're not having to spend as much out of pocket when you go to the hospital because you're not having to treat your, you know, pre-diabetic state or your, your type 2 diabetes or things that otherwise potentially could be uh, modified with some changes in, in your day-to-day -day, um, health journey. And so, so all of that ends up getting incorporated into to virtually every feature that we end up rolling out within Fitbit. As head of sales, you have to be able to define your product's unique selling proposition when it came on the market, Fitbit was in many ways like, I think the comparison a lot of people make is Kleenex, where Fitbit was the brand name, regardless of whose wearable it was. Um, do, do you still feel that Fitbit has that market image? What is the competitive landscape today? I've had, a, I won't name, name them by name, but I've had a lot of people when they find out I work with Fitbit ask if I can help them uh, troubleshoot or set up their wearable device that is not a Fitbit. I help them anyway. I don't even correct them. I'm like, keep telling everybody you have a Fitbit. You know, like this, is, we can figure out a win-win here. Uh, so I know, I know anecdotally, we certainly feel that. I, I will say that when we work in, with across communities, uh, populations, um, health systems, or even employers, 
um, a lot of times we're, we're kind of, um, we don't have a lot of, I guess I would say competition. And, and there's a few reasons for that. I'm not saying that there's no competition, but there's a few kind of advantages that we've had in the market that, you know, frankly would be difficult to displace. You know, one is because we're not a big bone manufacturer, people are able to link their, you know, Fitbit device, whether they have a Microsoft phone, an Android, an iPhone. And it, it means that more people can adopt the Fitbit. You don't have that inherent barrier of, oh, I don't use that operating system. So I guess I just can't get this device. So, so that's helpful. And the other is because we're international, that means that Fitbits are available virtually everywhere. I think over 40,000 retail locations. So people are aware of it, which makes it a lot easier when, again, uh, uh, in a community or an employer is trying to introduce the concept of a new tool to help people improve their health because you don't have to spend hours teaching them, all right, so this is this company and you've never heard of them, but th we think that they're gonna be great. And, you know, versus, you know, with Fitbit, a lot of times they just have to, you know, ask their friend or neighbor, or maybe they've even had one in the past. And so it, um, it makes it much more approachable and people are right. a lot more likely to, to want to adopt, you know, that tool. We, we call it the community effect. Um, there's so much that you can do between nine to five with your workforce that maybe you're very interested in trying to live a healthier life and then they go home and then maybe they just sit on the couch or they eat junk food or, you know, a lot of the types of programming where you're trying to encourage everyone to take the steps um, when they go home and they now are immediately going more into a sedentary lifestyle. Well, it, it negates some of the benefits that you tried to create. However, if you can make it really a part of their experience around the clock. And you can do that because like with Fitbit, it's personalized to the user. Like I said, people used to always tell me about their steps. Now they wanna tell me about their sleep. I, I, we have just many people now that are engaging in some of our mindfulness or stress management uh, programs and features that have been re released recently. Uh, those are probably some of the surging features that people are looking for. And so being able to you know, go and take a, a two minute uh, breathing exercise you know, to kind of manage their stress in the middle of the day. It's a feature that I don't even know if it existed five or 10 years ago, you know, now it's something that's really interesting. So you may have two people sitting right next to each other at work that are in total different places in their health journey that could go adopt a Fitbit and they may never even dial in to a type of sensor that's tracking what they care about versus what the other person uh, might. But, and it's all within the same experience. So the, the accessibility and, and kind of ease, ease of use are the things that have been uh, good for us in our growth. You may have answered this already, um, but with so many, you just talked about a few of the other ones that are on the market. And I, I hear the same thing. Everybody calls them Fitbits, no matter where they are, where, you know, the, the brand name, they're all Fitbits, which is so great. But how do you stay competitive? Well, we don't have one Fitbit, right? So we have a whole uh, list of SKUs that are out there in the market at any one point. And that's obviously been by design. I think that uh, I'm not saying that it's, it's a bad thing if other organizations just have you know one you know, watch and it's all and it's just like the next version of it. The reason why we've done that is if you look at, if you look at kind of the different markets that we ultimately serve or the types of consumers that have really embraced Fitbit, well, like I, like I said, with, uh, with Movable uh, and how we started working with childhood obesity, it's the same goals that, that Fitbit has as well, which is why we have our ACE family devices, which means we, we have eight-year-olds out there with Fitbits. 
and mom and dad have Fitbits. Uh, we've also done really well with our Medicare Advantage integration. So we're in you know, 50, 60, maybe even 100 plus Medicare Advantage programs right now across the United States. Obviously, that's, uh, those are senior citizens. Those are 65 years or older. So the fact that, um, so the fact that we have uh, products, features, and a, an experience that can cater to kids that are maybe playing dodgeball later that day to senior citizens and everybody in between is a, is a big way that we've stayed competitive and, and you know, frankly, it's something that's pretty unique about Fitbit. Gary, throw it back to you. Uh, yeah, I thought you, you were gonna continue here. I, I uh, because I, the question I did wanna hear an answer to, and I, I don't know that he's covered necessarily is, um, there a lot of the people the the initial early that have that fitness conscious mentality how how do you explore ways to get folks that haven't necessarily paid a lot of attention to their personal health uh, many of them west virginians uh to look to a product like yours to initiate some kind of a better health nutrition outlook? Yeah, so there's, I guess there's a, a, a kind of a couple ways to kind of think about it, but you know, one is um, for, the, for the elite athletes that are out there, they may not only have one wearable, they may have multiple wearables, you know, and uh, they, they themselves look like they belong in like an R&D lab, you know, at an electronics company. And, and I would say that, um, I'm not saying that there aren't a lot of those elite athletes that um, use Fitbits. We know a lot of them, uh, a lot of them do for various reasons, but we really don't design a lot of products specifically trying to cater, you know, just to, you know, the Ironman, you know, right. uh, folks that, that are out there. And, and so I think that when people think about Fitbit, I think, you know, part of the reason why they think about, you know, Fitbit almost in the same context as, as like, you know, Kleenex or something is because it's, it's a little bit more universal. And like, like I said before, it's a lot more approachable. I think that when, uh, when you're just starting out on, on your um, health improvement journey, you're probably not going to go for the, like the Rolls Royce, you know, the thing that, you know, all the power lifters are using. In fact, that might be intimidating in fact, that actually, you know, sometimes can lead to, to like injuries, you know, or, you know, people burning out very, very quickly because like it, it wasn't appropriate for them and it wasn't going to help them ultimately achieve their goals because they're trying to fit in with people that have way, way different goals. And so, so one is that um, even if you're just starting, you set up your goals as you set up your Fitbit. And if 5,000 steps per day is your goal, that's totally fine. In fact, your Fitbit experience is going to evolve over time. So it doesn't have to be 20,000 steps. It doesn't have to be going to the gym five days a week. We'll make certain recommendations based off of CDC guidelines and, and other things. But ultimately, um, will us being able to provide maybe a nudge or a unique insight that's special and individual to that user when they need to hear it? I mean, that, that makes it, um, that definitely helps that user decide to come back tomorrow and the next day and the next day and continue making those kind of like um, soft changes that lead to, to hard outcomes over a longer period of time. We're talking with Bryce Roush, the head of direct sales for Google's Fitbit Health Solutions Division. 
And we want to remind folks that uh, our podcast, our weekly podcast is brought to you by WVU Medicine, United Hospital Center, West Virginia University, The State Journal, WVNews.com, and Interaction Media. We're really a little bit over our time already, but one of the nice things about um, internet and podcast, Bryce, is that uh, it has a lot more flexibility than broadcast television. If, if you're good, we've got a couple more questions. Can you hang with us? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we'll just kind of keep uh, right, on, uh, right on going and we appreciate it. Uh, how has uh, Fitbit's connection with Google then changed and I assume enhanced your company? So, so far, uh, we, so for those that don't know, Google acquired Fitbit and, and we officially became part of the, the uh, Google family in February. And so we're, I think that with a large acquisition like this, a lot of it's actually been pretty untouched. Uh, it just means that I've worked off of a couple laptops. Uh, you know, security at airports looks at me a little suspiciously, you know, hauling around three laptops and a couple phones. I look like I robbed a Radio Shack or something sometimes, but uh, and so obviously there are lots of internal resources that, um, you know, systems, tools, operational type uh, of things like that, that we, we benefit from. But Google had a priority from day one that they mostly didn't want to get in our way. Uh, you know, we already had a, a product roadmap that we were working on regardless of, you know, the, the talks of the acquisition and, and throughout that process. Um, and, you know, we've continued engaging in kind of the enterprise market, just like just like we always have, and they just didn't want to be a disruption. Um, and so, so far, it's uh, it just you know means that we've been able to use some of the scalability advantages of a Google that you know otherwise we didn't have to um, pump resources in to achieve you know similar outcomes. I will say that the the future is extremely exciting, um, and so I really couldn't have imagined you know a better partner than Google uh, when you think of you know some of the technology organizations out there. And so uh, yeah, as, as one example, so, you know, Google, their goal is to build a more helpful Google for everyone. And what they define that meaning, giving you the tools to increase your knowledge, your success, your health, and your happiness. You know, they have the, they want to make the world's information more easily accessible for everybody, right? And, and we've all experienced that, uh, you know, when it's kind of like the Kleenex conversation, when somebody says, I need to look that up, they say, I'll Google it, right? Um, you know, similar, similar type of thing. Meanwhile, at Pippet, our vision is to help everyone in the world become healthier. And so right there in lies between those two goals. And that's been our goal and our vision for years. So there's obviously great synergy there. There's a lot of exciting things that Google has been doing. In fact, they have an entire Google Health division. There's a number of other digital health or digital therapeutic uh, uh, programs or subsidiaries within Google, uh, where, you know, collaborating with them and working with them and, and, you know, seeing where, uh, where it makes sense to collaborate in the future. Uh, those conversations have been, uh, very, very exciting. And so, um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot that's possible. It'll be interesting to see kind of, you know, how it continues to unfold, but, you know, we're really excited about it. I would think that uh, this being the Christmas season, that it represents a big sales opportunity for uh, for your company. Uh, what what's the premier product that you expect to move this Christmas season, and uh, can you provide any kind of a sneak peek at what's in the pipeline for 2022 and beyond? Yeah. Um, so the the Pivot Sense is our kind of. Um, 
that's our, our premium product right now. And it's definitely our most sensor rich device out there. Um, and it's the Fitbit that I personally wear as well. Um, it's, we, we, another way that we classify it is it's our stress tracker. So it does all the things that other Fitbits do, you know, it'll track your steps. It will check your heart rate. It'll automatically detect your fitness. It'll track your sleep. It's waterproof or, or water resistant up to 50 meters, I think. And also comes with a trial um, a membership to our Fitbit premium program, which is something that we've, we've invested in heavily and has, has been really popular as well. Um, Fitbit premium, think of that as uh, 500 plus on-demand workouts, but also guided programs like a couch to 5k, you know, and offering people little nudges and insights every single day while they're engaging in that program, as well as nutritional programs. There's uh, meditation uh, programs that you can engage with as well. And then some deeper analytics and insights to your own personal health. Um, so that's, that's Fitbit premium. You actually get six months of it with uh, the Fitbit sense, which um, obviously is a, a, another big perk for getting the Fitbit sense, but it also has sensors specifically for you to track your, your stress levels and uh, stress, mindfulness, just a mental well-being. Those, those I can't say were even on my radar, you know, five years ago. And now I don't know if we're having many uh, conversations as it relates to population health without that coming up. You know, it's becoming um, so obvious that people want support. And frankly, I think people maybe always needed that support, but they're finally more comfortable asking or seeking out resources uh, to get support with things like that. And so, you know, the Fitbit Sense has the features that a lot of those folks are looking for. Uh, and then we also released the, the Charge 5 earlier this year. The Charge family of devices uh, has kind of been, I think, um, probably the family of devices that people are most likely to have worn. And, uh, and what's amazing about the Charge 5 is there's a lot of, um, a lot of sensors and technology that, that is typically throughout the market only available for higher-end smartwatches that we were able to get into the Charge 5. Uh, which means probably at what, like half the price that you might uh, otherwise expect to find it from others, which as you can imagine, as it relates to um, working with communities or larger pools of people is a, a big value add because it makes it um, makes the value that you get versus the investment, uh, your dollar goes a lot further with a, a product like that versus with um, higher end smartwatches. Mm -hmm. What's the number one thing you think uh, in wearables that they're looking for? Motivation, accountability, tracking all of the above so I, I would say the underlying thing is probably tracking i think that there's a level of curiosity that a lot of people have uh when they start and, and this is with all wearables now, i'm not just specifically talking about fitbit um but I, like i know for myself i i mean how else would i have any clue of the quality of sleep that i'm getting if i didn't have a, a wearable you know and so uh, the fact that now, and, and frankly, you know, that's one of our kind of another one of our competitor advantages out there. We have a, we have a long battery life, even with our smartwatches. So the fact that somebody can have a Fitbit and may not even have to charge it for a week means that it's a lot more likely that they're going to wear it to bed. So if they wear it to bed, that means that they're going to see their sleep tracking, which means they might understand their sleep a little bit better so they can make changes in their life to try to improve it. All, all I knew before having uh, something that provided that level of tracking was I, I feel tired. I wonder why I feel like I went to bed at a good time. And that was kind of like the end of the discussion and then just drink more coffee, right? right. Which, yeah, um, right. So, so I, I would say tracking is probably the underlying element. I think the reason why they stick with Fitbit though is the accountability and motivation. Like they want to keep it going. They like how it makes them feel. And, you know, frankly, we have folks, 
they have gone from one Fitbit, you know, like maybe the charge to the charge HR to the charge three to the charge five, like they, they, they'll stay really loyal. And, uh, and it's, you know, when, when you ask them, they're like, I just don't want to lose it. You know, like here I, I have, you know, years worth of, of, you know, my sleep data or, you know, my, my heart rate, you know, and I want to keep monitoring that because it's telling my health story. And it's really, you know, useful for me in making decisions, you know, that, um, you know, to, to improve certain things. And so, you know, it really kind of becomes like their, their health diary. Well, you've been in uh, health promotion for quite a few years now. Have you come across any other communities trying to do what, what we're trying to do here in Healthy, Healthy Harrison? I've heard a lot of, I've heard a lot of states or, or regions interested in it. I think the execution is hard, and and so and that's why I've, I've been inspired with what you guys have accomplished over the the last several years now, in one identifying that it was something worth caring about, uh, but then two from an operational standpoint, how you've gone about you know and captured information, engage in the communities, and are deploying tools you know to try to uh, to make uh, West Virginia and and Harrison more uh, more healthy locations. I would say maybe one of the most, um, well, maybe from a scale standpoint, one of the largest examples um, is the uh, country of Singapore. So, and we're, we're engaged in that, that program with them as well. But they, you know, the United States is unique in that it, your health insurance a lot of times is ultimately coming from your employer. Mm-hmm. Whereas in other parts of the world, it might be coming from the government, you know, if it's available, right? And so with Singapore, you know, because it's it's something that's coming from them, they have a rooted interest of trying to curb negative health um, uh, uh, trends, right? Because they're bearing the brunt of it because they own, you know, their their you know the, the entire health system. And so for them, they uh, launched a really ambitious program. I think it's now been um, over a year ago, where uh, their citizens can get a Fitbit. They can get uh, human health coaching and they can get uh, some of the resources that, that otherwise might be very difficult for them to access. So they've been a really interesting partner. I see them kind of as a case study right now. I really, um, I really hope they're successful uh, because I feel like, you know, that's a, just another example. You guys are another one. I think a lot of people are looking for that blueprint, you know, because I think that they would, a lot of groups would want to put it to use pretty quickly. How about advice? Any advice for us? Oh boy, you've come to the wrong guy. I, I, I'm the king of unsolicited advice typically. And so that's when a lot of folks on my team are like, can we end the call then? I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to say it anyway. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, we, we ended up um, participating in a, uh, a speaking session with the person who was the VP and principal analyst at Forrester, a really well-known uh, research organization. And they had done some research around uh, what are the elements of a successful connected experience. So, you know, something that people want to kind of like stick with, it's motivating them to kind of like perform the types of behaviors that was the intent, you know, of the the experience in the first place. And I think that, um, I think that you can kind of like take those core principles and apply it across a whole host of, you know, interventions or programs, uh, because it's, it's, uh, uh, it makes a lot of sense. So the five are, um, a simple setup. If there's too much friction up front, people just may abandon the program before they've even gotten started. So that means easy to easy to uh, easy to set up, not a sharp learning curve. You know, that's you know they, they need to understand why would I do this? 
how is it going to benefit me? And it has to be quick, right? Uh, the next, next is accessibility. If people have to hunt out the resources, especially like, look, um, I don't need to be told that I eat too much fried food. Like I get it. And then thinking that there's a program that's, I know is just going to tell me I'm not supposed to be eating that food. And now I have to hunt to even like find the program. Like, you know, for a lot of people, that's, that's enough for them to be like, it's not worth it. You know what? I'm just going to keep on doing my unhealthy behavior. Cause I, I feel like it's making me happy, you know? And, and so, so we, you know, it's misaligned. So making it accessible, that also might mean that from an accessibility standpoint, you know, language support or support with those with disabilities, you know, like trying to think of, you have a very diverse population here. And so trying to find certain resources that are naturally holistic, uh, but you're not going to run into those uh, barriers where someone has found the excuse of like, oh, I guess it's not for me. It's for everybody else. I sure wish I had a resource, but I guess I'm, I'm out in the cold. The third is insights and data. So, you know, have something, have, have established baselines, measure your program, however that is, whether, you know, it's qualitative or quantitative, but that's the key because, you know, ultimately how else are you going to know if it's working, right? That's for both the end user as, as well as from a program administrator standpoint. Engagement feature mechanics are key as well. So what I mean by that is like gamification, things that, um, things that want that, that like bring people back to the program. Um, it can't just be rinse and repeat. Obviously, it's even better if somebody can personalize that experience. Um, you know, there's a lot of engineers that spend a lot of time trying to build apps that do exactly that. So I'm not trying to say it's easy. I'm more so saying that if, if you nail that, if you make it engaging and you make it fun and it's something that's relatable, relatable for people, the much better chance of it being successful long term. And then finally, an effective notification strategy. So whether that's um, somebody hitting certain results in real time, or maybe it's a community 5K is coming up, but just ways that people can kind of stay informed and, and maybe even in some instances reminded that they're in the program in the first place is another key you know, for, uh, for people uh, or for, I guess, what ultimately makes for a really successful um, experience. And so, so I, I would just share that because I, I found it really insightful when she shared that uh, during the speaking engagement with us. And, and so, and then that way, I'm not really giving you the advice. It's really Julie Ask Forrester. Sure. Still appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I can tell you that uh, you've been very generous with your time and we appreciate it. And, and, and I, I love the idea of Fitbit and or, you know, a wearable of your choice with the work that Healthy Harrison is doing, because I've told folks over and over again that I think the, the best health insurance plan in the world is taking ownership of your own health and nutrition and trying to uh, to make things better on your own without ever having to walk into a doctor's office office and and if uh, a Fitbit can help get us there I, I think uh, you know, there's there's no better way to kind of uh, again take ownership of uh, that particular uh, part of our life uh, we're, we've been talking with uh, Bryce Rausch who is the head of direct sales for Google's uh, fitness health solutions division. Bryce, we, uh, we thank you for joining us today and uh, being so gener generous with your time. Absolutely. Happy Friday, everybody. I want to thank uh, again, all of you for joining us for the Healthy Harrison podcast. It's uh, our goal to change your state of mind, ultimately change the state of health here in Harrison County and throughout West Virginia. If you want more help right now, visit healthyharrison.org 
or visit the Healthy Harrison Facebook page and give us a like. You'll find lots of support and you can stream past episodes of our podcasts on the Facebook page. Again, we want to thank our sponsors, WVU Medicine, United Hospital Center, West Virginia University, The State Journal, WVNews.com, and the folks at Interaction Media who help us produce our podcast each week. Uh, Next week, Brock Malcolm, president of the Healthy Harrison Board of Directors, and Amy will be talking with Rich Sudfin of West Virginia Rural Health. On behalf of Amy, uh, we thank you for joining us today. Again, thanks to you, Bryce. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you folks again next Friday at the same time, 1230. Appreciate it. And have a great weekend.